This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. What happens when regular people work together to create massive, meaningful change on a global scale? Welcome to the Carbon Almanac Collective, a podcast where the volunteers who created the Carbon Almanac share the insights and aha moments they had while collaborating on this landmark project to help fight the climate crisis. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and it's not too late to join in on the conversation. I'm Andrea Morris. I live in Indiana, USA. And on the Carmen Almanac, I was one of the project managers for Layout. I'm David Robinson. I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia, US, Central Virginia, right up along the Blue Ridge Mountains. And by trade, I'm a graphic designer, web designer, branding specialist in the clean energy sector. My name is Felice de la Gatta, and I'm an Italian currently living in uh, beautiful Ericeira, Portugal, 40 minutes from Lisbon. And um, I'm a graphic designer, and this is the skills that I put the most to use into the Almanac. I've been helping designing the book itself, so creating the style guide and lay out, lay out the pages and bring all the work from all the amazing designers that have uh, been involved together into the final file. We pulled together a team of about 10 or 12 designers. And then we coordinated all of our efforts together, assigning pages, giving feedback on the layout, and then bringing everything together at the end. And uh, since we wrapped up that big project and we got to the milestone of sending the book to print, um, I've been poking around the forum, trying to help here and there with my skills. I haven't settled into a position yet, but it's nice to feel that you have the opportunity that you can get involved into all the many things that are going on at the boards. And there are many, like it's almost overwhelming. I was happy to contribute to this project. It checked a lot of boxes for me. I checked a lot of boxes for it as well. So being able to contribute to the design, the production aspects, how do you get, as Felice said, how do you take all the great designs from a bunch of designers and turn it into a single design of the book? So that was an interesting challenge design-wise and logistic-wise. And I was so glad to have the help of Felice and Andrea to manage things. It took more than one brain, for sure, to, to pull it together. Can you tell us about your most memorable, funny, or emotional moment collaborating on this project? Yeah, we were building the, the book in spread, so a left page and a right page. And on one page, there was information, an article about chocolate and the carbon impact of chocolate. And somebody mentioned putting peanut butter on the other page. And then there were jokes ensuing about being a great spread between <laughs> the peanut butter and chocolate. Good old spread 233. <laughs> Is that a, you remembered? <laughs> oh, wow, that's crazy. I've already told David and Felice about this. Mm-hmm. But one of my more memorable experiences was later in the project when I saw on one of our threads, David and Felice interacting about something and there had been a miscommunication and they were both just, they both apologized, which you don't necessarily see too (laughs) led in a professional setting, apologize to each other. They both like owned up to their part of the error. And then they just very kindly figured out what needed to be done and what was the correct answer and how to move forward. And 
that struck me so hard because you just do not see people interact this way on a regular basis. And it, to me, that was like a microcosm experience of the entire Carbon Almanac project, how everyone treats each other so well. Mm -hmm. Felice, what about your experience? Or did you have any moments that were super emotional? Well, I'm going to say it has been a roller coaster from the start. Even just finding your place in a process with so many moving parts and you have to let go of ego and then you keep on asking yourself, am I doing enough or should I be doing more? So that has been a roller coaster most of the time, an emotional moment. This this came up in various conversations. So Andrew and David probably already heard this, but for me, I, I was just, my mind was blown away when I saw the book coming together because until that moment, everybody trusted that in the end it would work. But mm -hmm. this never happened before, probably in the history uh, of bookmaking, editorial design and, and all that. So seeing that in the end, it converged into something that was that worked and looked beautiful and was uh, complete. That really, yeah, that was an emotional moment for me. Yeah, I don't think that generally having 12 designers, for example, on one book is pretty common. <laughs> so that's not encouraged <laughs> as, a, as a general rule. I think we had a uh, hundred if we also count, you know, the the chart designers and the right. infographic yeah. designers. Like there was really a lot of people. I, I do remember the uh, the three of us putting together the book. This was early on talking about content and page layout and wondering how much space we had for each article. And in a standard design project, we get the content from the client first. We find out what they have to offer, and then we start to lay it out and put it together. But in this case, it was opposite. And we all agreed this was the worst possible client we could have <laughs> as far as a <laughs> workflow goes. And they were really just pushing us. They, the collective entity, just required us to work this way. So we made it through, but it was that was comical to try to do everything backwards <laughs> that, that we had learned as professionals. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't be more proud of the results. It really did come together. It, it tickled me to see that happen. It was a leap of faith, I think. But thanks to some sturdy leadership and goal setting and a lot of encouragement from some folks that mattered, we were able to pull it together and not pull our hair out too much. Were there any other hurdles that you can remember that you guys had to persevere through? Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so many. <laughs> there were a couple times when we thought we were on a certain process and then something got flipped and or something got out of order. And that had a massive cascading effect, which usually meant that either duplicate work was being done or we were using charts that weren't going to be in the book, or we were looking for charts that were never going to be designed, all these different things. That happened on several occasions. And that was always challenging because then you had to kind of reverse engineer or back everything up and pick a place to start and then get agreement on where to start again. And then you could proceed. So it was definitely frustrating in the moment, but it was also a very good experience to witness because it was just another one of those examples about of how everyone had faith that the other people were doing their very best, even if there was some kind of mix up somewhere along the line. Everyone was doing their best in the moment. And so as long as you can trust that, you can keep going forward and you can continue trusting. 
Now, when we joined the project, when everybody that's part of this collective joined the project, no one was given a title or a role and there was no org chart and, and no hierarchy. I'm just wondering how all three of you managed to get your way into this space and, and into leadership. Like, what did that process look like? Yeah, I jumped in like everybody, jumped in cold and tried to figure out what to do, what was going on. And I you know, joined a few groups and saw some conversations. And I believe it was Seth who mentioned an index. And does anyone know how to do an index? So I said yes. And then but I realized quickly, you don't just say yes, you actually just go ahead and do the thing. So I just went ahead and built an index because that's the next thing. I say yes. And then he says, okay, where is it? Or go ahead and do it. So rather than wait for that step, I just went ahead and did it and did that a few times. And that became a way to Seth started saying, thank you for leading. I'm like, what do you mean leading? I'm just doing a thing. But it turns out that's what leadership is, having an idea and then doing it and then helping other people to help you to get it done. So that was simple in, in a sense to be able to do that. But the, I was really impressed with the this organization, how Seth set it up and Louise and the people that really founded the organization to start with, they set it up as a true meritocracy. Like you said, no one came in with a title and anything that got done, it was because, or any, I'll air quote promotions here, but you know, any promotions that happened were because people were doing things and it was just based on, on merit and the three of us did a lot. We had ideas, we contributed, and then we followed up and made the things happen. Yeah. So the naked truth for me is that I just was here from the start. If I wouldn't have been here from the start for the way I am made as a person, it would have been very hard for me to find a spot and to step up and be heard. But being here from the start, I had my foot in a hundred doors. I knew what every, what everything was going around everywhere. And I knew where there was a need. And so I jumped in and uh, yeah, I found myself um, among this amazing group of people doing important work, like putting the work, putting the book to pay. And, and now I feel like the community, I belong to the community and I have friends here and there. But again, a lot of it for the way I made personally is because I'm, I'm here from the start and the group was very small and it was easy to be heard and to find your place then. So was that hard for you when it started getting bigger and bigger? Like, I think we're at 1900 members or something now. Not all active. Wow. But there is a lot right. of people involved. Mm. How was that growth process for you as this community grew and grew and grew? What did that feel like? Well, you know, and it, it's not just any community, like the people that are getting involved. I like I could never dream in my whole life to be mixed up with the caliber of people that are into the project. And so, you know, for me, it's a constant fight with the desire to make a difference and help and the knowledge that you have a skill set that you can put to use. And on the other hand, the imposter syndrome that probably everybody fights with, like, what am I doing here? Like, does my opinion even matter here? Should somebody else take that spot because they could probably contribute better than I could ever do? So, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle, but we do it because it's important. If, if it wasn't important, we wouldn't be here talking about it. Mm -hmm. And Andrea, how did you get to your position of leadership within the Almanac? I feel like I came in at just the right time where, so I came in in like early to mid-December and I had been lurking a little bit, not volunteering for anything, trying to just figure out what was going on. 
And I, I think within about a week I noticed, or I think I joined the design group and then somebody asked for X design to be made. I forget what it was, just basically a template. So I just said, okay, I'll do that. So I did it. And then from there, I think I just continuously saw the need for different things to be done. So I volunteered to do those things. And then it coincided with when David was going on vacation because David was leading the design at that point and maybe Felice as well. I'm actually not quite sure, but then David went on vacation and I was like, okay, he says he's going to be checking his messages, but I know how terrible that is when you're on vacation. Like you don't want that pressure of seeing a million messages. So I tried to step in there oh. and take that off of David at that point. And then there's always room for more leaders. So I definitely had concerns that I was stepping on David's toes, but at the same time, I also assumed that spreading out the responsibilities would be a good thing for everybody. So I tried to just tell myself, no, it's okay. I am, I might be stepping on David's toes, but also this probably will come to something good in the end. And then it just kind of came to be that the three of us just let it all together. My toes were ankle deep in some sand in Mexico, so I didn't mind at all. <laughs> 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 and when we're talking about sprints to the finish line, this group went from no book in September, nothing, just an idea when Felice first got here, to a fully edited, ready to publish book by February. So how does that feel to have been part of that accomplishment? I don't want to say the wind was at our backs, but it felt it felt <laughs> monumental. And, and really, so many people contributed to that, like you said. there We had 10 to 12 designers and I don't know, 10 to 12 people making charts. And Jennifer, you had, you led the infographics team. And I don't know how many people were on that team, but everybody was just rowing in the same direction at the same time. And it, it was wonderful. Felice, how do you feel knowing that the book is out there and, and getting ready to be out in the world? Yeah, I already pre-ordered the first 10 copies and I can't wait to spread them around friends and family. As cliche as it sounds, it's been an honor. Uh, as David said, it, you, you, we were just, I felt the honor of putting so many people's work together into the final product. And you really, you, you really felt like a steward of this huge process where you were just the last step and there were uh, tens of hours thrown into every little asset. And now your responsibility was to put it together into one coherent, cohesive story that was easy to absorb and you wanted you know, every little detail to be, to look in a certain way and for the reader to have a certain experience, it's, it's just been an honor and I can't wait to hold the book in my hands. Seeing what can happen when dedicated people come together, that has changed me. I also know that if you're going to take on a project like this, and it can, even if it's something much, much smaller, if you have a group of 10 people, but you want to do some ambitious project, it is pretty critical to make sure that everyone is fully invested, because I think that is what made this work. The people who worked on it were fully invested and nobody was willing to drop the ball anywhere because I think because we wanted to keep each other's respect and each other's trust. I, I think it made me a more resilient leader 
because I see that problems can come up, but you just work through it. It's, it's just the experience of having had, yeah, having had that experience. Now I know I can do it again and I want to do it again. As I've been sending the link to everybody I know because I am so proud whenever I get to see the book on a website listed anywhere. And I'm going to be handing it out like candy come June because mm-hmm. I just want everybody to see the book because I'm so proud of the work that went into it. Also, I think the content is fabulous and truly critical, truly needed. And David, how has this experience changed you? Well, that's a great question. I don't know where to start. I I am <laughs> just so happy and honored, as everyone say, to, to have worked with such high caliber people um, and realizing that it really does matter who you work with and, and having people of quality with a single focus makes a huge amount of difference. I've been wanting to do projects and trying, in fact, actually doing little things on my own to support climate change, climate awareness, and nothing, I'm sure, it will get anywhere close to to this project. And I've put years of, of my own time into things prior to this, but having a group of people working together and I would say with deadlines, um, I'm a very relaxed person. I don't like deadlines in general, but I, I've come to appreciate them a lot more. So having those handy and giving us an anchor point in time to rally around is really helpful. Understanding also that things sometimes can be good enough to ship without making them perfect. There were a few times when a, a very respected individual in the team had uh, said, it's good enough for him. And I figured, well, if it's good enough for Seth Godin, it's got to be good enough for me. Like, how can I actually add any value when the man, the best-selling publisher of 20 books already has said, this is good. Like, it really made no sense for me to continue making something better to what I thought should be done. So learning to just stop and realize something is good enough, it really means it's good enough. It doesn't need to be like the the perfect quintessential work of art that us designers like to produce um, for it to have an effect. So so learning, yeah, I would say those two things, a deadline and then knowing when to stop and moving on to the next thing. That was really part of, I think, the, the really helpful leadership structure and framework that was in place was we've got to stop working on this so we can start working on the next thing because there were so many things to do. So I really appreciated that extra framework to help get this done. And Felice, how is the Felice of today different from the Felice of September 2021? Oh, I have um, a lot. I've made a lot of illustrious friends. So mm-hmm. that must mean something. And yeah, and one thing I learned, and this latches onto what David just said, like sometimes it is worth it. And we mentioned this in some in some places in the Almanac twos. Sometimes it may be worth it to do things the hard way because doing doing it the hard way allows certain things to happen. The Almanac, even though it happened in a very short amount of time, it was done the hard way. It involved hundreds of people. It took hundreds of revision. We went to the last minute adding in final details. I know with the pressure of something that needed to go to the public, it was not a small project that you could get, you know, oh, something goes wrong, no problem. It's a big endeavor. And we did it the hard way because it was necessary uh, because we wanted people to get involved 
Uh, we wanted to start a movement and not just write another book of climate change. And so, yeah, do sometimes doing things the slow way, the hard way, may be the right thing to do when you have a good reason. We've mentioned that the book has, or the almanac has charts and it has graphs and it has all of this kind of visual interest. But one of the things that we also had a fun time adding were what we were calling sparklers. So these are designed pull quotes or cartoons. And I'm wondering if any of you have a favorite one of the sparklers. I'm loving the cartoons myself. Does anyone have a favorite spread? I love Felice's spread that he did with the Maya Angelou poem. Mm -hmm. That was beautifully done. It was so simple, but so striking. I thought that was amazing. I know there are more that I love, but that one always jumps out at me. Has there been anything that you've learned about the climate crisis since you've gotten here that you were unaware of before? Like, I'm wondering, what did you learn about the climate emergency being on this project? One thing that did stick out was the amount of energy that Bitcoin uses Mm. compared to the entire country of New Zealand. I think it was one and a half New Zealand's worth of energy just for this virtual currency. And that's just Bitcoin. That's not even all of them. That's just that one. And that's just a phenomenal amount of energy to replace something that used to be just made on a piece of paper. And, you know, I think this hit a lot of people is that, um, which also connects me to the, to the previous question about what's my favorite spread. It also holds the most striking piece of data, in my opinion, as not for me, it became part of the way we talk about the carbon almanac too, is the five dot spread. The ones where you see that if you divide a breadth of air into 10,000 10, dots, right now we are at uh, four carbon dots into that 10,000 among the, those 10,000. If we get to five, life as we know it today, I won't be the same anymore. And it's striking. It's just one dot. It's the difference between what the world we live in today and a world we, we, we really don't know what it will look like. I've always considered myself an environmentalist and I'm always doing things to like help the bees or help nature. But this brings climate into focus more for me as like, if I want to help the bees, if I care about preserving nature, Climate has to come first. Climate has to come before most of the other problems that we're looking at, because if we don't fix that, the rest of it doesn't really matter. Or like we, we won't have influence over these other things anymore. So I think it's switched me more from considering myself a person who appreciates sustainability or environmentalism to a person who recognizes that climate is one of the biggest problems of our time. And we have to put our energy into that. We have to put almost all of our energy into fixing this. Mm -hmm. And you three spend a lot of time working together. So I'm sure there is things that you are just dying to ask each other. Do any of the three of you have a question for each other or another member here? I've always wanted to know how you wound up in Portugal. Like what what brought you to Portugal? I guess destiny, no plan whatsoever. (laughs) I was traveling when the lockdown hit. I was in the middle of a two year long trip in Southeast Asia and I was looking for a place to stay. But when COVID hit, I just 
went back home to Italy to stay with family. And as soon as the situation opened up again, I started traveling and looking for a place to stay. And I found home here. As I landed in this town, like it was home. And so that's how I'm here now. And I had never heard of it before in my life. It's it's only famous because it's a World Surf Reserve. So if you're a surfer, you know it. If you're not a surfer, yeah. it doesn't exist for and yeah. nobody like nobody knows it. And I, I'm mostly curious how how you all relax. I've seen how you work, and it, it's it's wonderful. And it's focused and and, and uh, concentrated. And how do you relax? And, and when you're not working, that's. So I think we need to spend a week together doing that. <laughs> right. In Mexico or in Portugal? Oh, anywhere. I, Portugal's on my <laughs> list now. <laughs> it may be destiny. All right. So it's going to be two weeks then. Uh, one in yeah, Mexico, one in Portugal. Why, why choose? You know. Working in a group that is spanning nearly 50 countries, or I guess it's up to 90 countries now. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. working with people around the world for me has been... So fascinating. And to hear how even the climate crisis is represented in different countries. Do you have any aha moments about that? Like just this collaborative nature that is spanning the entire globe? I I am, well, humbled that and embarrassed that English is the only language that I know. (laughs) While, you know, all the other folks around the world have just been speaking perfect English to the point where I can understand them. But so I really appreciated that. I, I would say, of course, we have different cultures, but the the common thread that we had in all of them is is respect and, and a desire to help. So I didn't feel like there were cultural barriers in that sense because we were we were focused and we were all here for the same reason. So our microculture was was a perfect match, and and that worked really well. And the time zones, of course, is a little bit of a challenge, but some folks from Felice's, at least in his afternoon here, it's not, you know, 1 1 a.m. for him. But folks in India, of course, were burning the midnight oil to meet with us. So I really appreciated that, their, their dedication. As David said, yeah, I share his point of view. There is probably less difference between a member of the Carbon Almanac and a member of another Carbon Almanac, uh, another member of the Carbon Almanac, rather than me as an Italian and the and the average Italian. I'm not saying in a positive or a negative way, but the mission that brings us together it means that on a fundamental level of values, we are all on the same page. And so, when there is the mission and the value align then the magic happens as it happened for us at the Carbon Online. I always refer to that as the akimbo verse. I always say like, oh, "Oh, well, if you know, if they're in the akimbo verse, then likely we're going to get along just fine. You can always tell a follower of Seth Godin. It's people just have a way of interacting with the world that they have learned from his emails or from his, from the courses through akimbo. And it's always a really gratifying experience working with anybody who adopts that culture because usually they communicate very well. They care about, I mean, they're just respectful people. They, they want to contribute more than they take. All these great qualities that you find in people who are attracted to Seth and who are willing to give their time to a project like this, or basically just willing to give their time to anything. Yeah, you just see that these are good quality people and it's always a really rewarding experience. Is there anything about your experience that you think that the world, or at least the rest of the TCA community should know? 
I'm curious how we can keep the magic going. I know, of course, the Carbon Almanac Network is growing and growing and growing. And I, I wish I could just do that. There are so many opportunities to pitch in there, which which are amazing. Unfortunately, I still need to work for a living. So my <laughs> the problem I need to solve is how do I earn a living while doing that? And some of us are talking about that. How do we work together with this small group of folks to to support ourselves, to continue earning a living and, and make that work um, so we can continue doing good things. I'm only able to do good things because I've had enough good clients to support me that I could take time off to do this type of work. But at some point that <laughs> that free ride comes to it or the earned ride comes to an end. I don't know if that's a question or an answer, but um, yeah, I'm really okay. looking for that. And, I, and I, I'm hoping to, to be able to find some additional magic that we can add on to and, and continue doing that so we can support ourselves, our families, as well as the, the mission to support the climate. Andrea, do you have anything to add to that thought? Well, I think a good question, which ties in, like, I think the question that would lead to David's answer and the question that I want to ask everybody else is, how will you use this energy or this momentum going forward? And yeah, I think for me, it, it remains to be seen, but I, I'm definitely on the lookout for smaller scale projects that I can do maybe with my friends or with my community to basically put this into practice again and do the experiment over like, okay, can I be the central leader this time? Can I be the one who makes the decisions and keeps a project moving forward? It's, I think that's way harder than it seems even working in this project. I just want to take this forward and do it again and keep making my own impact on climate change. And I really always want to know, okay, what are other people planning to do after this project is done? I can't think about after this project is done quite yet. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> there is one realization that once you know you can make a difference, and I've always cared about sustainability and animal welfare are themes that are important to me. But other than my personal choices, like consuming less, not eating meat, not consuming animal products, like I felt kind of powerless. And then the carbon almanac fell into my lap in the form of an email from Seth Godin. And now I feel kind of guilt for having waited for something to fall into my lap. And now I live with the uh, knowledge that there is something I can do, like I just did it. So it is a responsibility now to plan so that you keep facilitating toward the direction that you believe is, is right. So once you set, you know, it's a, it's a one-way door. Once you're in, you're in, and now there is a newfound sense of responsibility that you need to live up to. And it's easy, it's not easy, I guess. That's just how things go. And I hope... It will be a driver for positive change in my life. I, yeah, I definitely feel that way. I just want to, yeah, I, I just want people to know that. And, you know, probably this is obvious. It just wasn't obvious to me. This is just a one-way door. Once you're on the other side, there is no other way you can go back to the comfort yeah. of waiting for something to fall in your lap or just recycling plastics. It's not It's not enough. And reading, even read, read the Carbon Almanac once, that's going to happen to you, like... You're going to have to deal with who you are and the way you 
you live in this world. It's going to force you to do that. And uh, closing the book and putting it away, will it be enough for you to go back to where you were? Probably not. So reading the book and, and absorbing the content is, is something I'm looking forward to doing. And, and I, I hopefully a lot of others are doing. What, one thing that really stood out to me about the book, there wasn't a particular sparkler that, that comes to mind, but the variety of images and types of information in there is just such a wonderful um uh, I don't, a breath of fresh air, maybe it, it's, it's very approachable. It's very easy to read. You can, there are long articles there are short articles, there are essays, um, there are infographics, there are charts, there are illustrations, um, cartoons. So there's, there's a lot to look at for any level of mindset, whether you just need something to look at for a minute or you want to sink in and read something for a longer period of time. It's very approachable from that sense. So I, I think that the concept of those elements was brilliant. It's a book for every person to read, really. I think it, that our target reading level is eighth grade reading level, as Seth said, not because that's where people need to be, but because that's what busy people like. You just you don't want to have to di- work too hard to digest something. I've read some wonderful books that are the concepts are great. The information's great, but it just it actually takes work to to digest a sentence or a paragraph. It, it's mm-hmm. linguistically difficult, but this book is easy to read from that perspective. So I really, really like that. And I feel like it's it's just a, a brilliant piece of work. And I'm just going to say, I can't thank Seth Godin enough for this. He's been blogging. He said he started, he wrote a blog post 15 years ago, and he's been wanting to write something about climate change since then. So Felice, don't feel bad. <laughs> about not about not starting sooner. Um, All right. Yeah, he his ability to pull together people, followers, as Andrea said, his people that read his his work are are just. I, I don't know necessarily the people that read his work, except you guys, but I, I take your word for it that they're more inquisitive, they're more curious, they're more engaged, and that certainly bore out in the group of people that we had to work with, and his ability to reach out and motivate people or inspire people to join and work with him was wonderful and something that I doubt that I could do. I don't have a thousand <laughs> followers on my blog. So his ability to, to leverage his popularity and to pull together this group was just a wonderful piece. And then his demeanor as a both a gentleman and as a true leader uh, was just masterful. He praised people. He didn't praise people too much. I think he was careful about liking too many things and a few few posts i made i was disappointed that he didn't like but i'm like okay you can't like everything <laughs> but he, he was just you know he was, he was just business he got to the point he complimented people when they needed it and um and having louise i think also being i, I want to think of her as our spiritual guide in this you know, she is sort of a much better than a cheerleader, but just somebody that really helped to imbibe our community with spirit and joyfulness and thankfulness. That was just wonderful too. So every Wednesday, we'd be thanking a number of people in the group that we worked with and now they shifted it. So now we do it on Thursdays and it's a really nice thing for building a community. And that just really sets the tone. I've, I I have not worked with any group that is nearly as functional as this. Early on, Seth said, thanks for leading on something. And I just kind of choked back. It's a lot easier than my homeowners association. And it's really true. Trying to, try, trying to plant some flowers around a tree in my homeowners association takes three meetings. And um, just 
doing work here was so much easier and it was appreciated and we just got things done. So if you're listening, Seth, thank you. I feel really grateful for having been invited in and for being a part of this experience. Um, I, I think Felice, when you said the door only goes one way, I, I'm going to remember that image for the rest of my life. I think that once you step through the door into realizing that you have the power to make change for whatever you want that change to be, you can't go back. I think just the, the empowerment that I feel and it, it truly has been a life-changing experience working on this project. And I think what I want anyone to take away, anyone who might be listening to this, is that you can do the same thing. You can have the same life-changing experience as we all did. You just have to take the steps, incremental steps, just keep moving forward, just do the work. You've been listening to the Carbon Almanac Collective. This podcast is part of the Carbon Almanac Podcast Network. For more information, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Subscribe and join us next time to get more insights from regular people mobilizing to help the world fight the climate emergency.